you or someone you love have scoliosis? Are you wondering what's next? What is life going to be like from now on? Or is this even a big deal? Hi, my name is Dave Butler, and welcome to the Scoliosis Experience. We are here to talk with real people, both patients, parents, and providers, to bring hope and clarity to the road ahead. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. Hi, welcome to this episode of the podcast. In this episode, I talked to Kristen Whipple, who is a mother of one of my scoliosis patients, and it was a great episode to record. Um, we talk about what her daughter went through from diagnosis to bracing to surgery and and some setbacks along the way and and just an amazing story of perseverance and advocating for your child. So that's one thing that, that Kristen talks about a lot in this episode is advocating for your child. This would be a great episode for anyone who has a child who has been diagnosed with scoliosis it would also be a great episode for anyone who has a child who's looking at having surgery or bracing for scoliosis. Kristen gives us some great ideas on how to support them in this and also how to advocate and speak up when you're going to different appointments with different specialists and things like that. So this is a great episode. I'm really grateful that Kristen agreed to do this episode. She has a lot of advice and a lot of experience in this area. And here's Kristen. I'm here with Kristen Whipple. She is a, an amazing mom of a scoliosis patient of mine. And she agreed to come in and talk about her experience and share that experience with patients that we, that we have on this podcast, as well as parents who are going through similar things. So thanks, Kristen, for being here and introduce yourself a little bit to us. Thank you. My name's Kristen Whipple. Um, I have five children. My daughter Hannah is the child with scoliosis and she is my youngest. Um, I am a registered nurse, so I have some medical training, but um, there wasn't anything that quite prepared me for this experience, which I'm sure all parents would think when they encounter um, any medical challenges with their kids. Um, Hannah is currently 18 years old and um, we'll tell you a little bit about our experience as we move through this. Right. Yeah, that's a, a good introduction. I think being a registered nurse, you know, you have a, the medical background, but yeah, like you said, it's it's different when it's your own child, right? It's very different. Yeah. So kind of tell us what your first experience with scoliosis was. I mean, when I assume it was with Hannah's diagnosis and kind of tell us about that. What, what happened and... Okay, so um, I had been exposed to scoliosis in nursing school, so I understood some of the basics. You get a really broad education in nursing school, and then you focus as you move mm -hmm. through your practice. So it was a broad um, experience with it, but nothing prepared me for what I found when, when Hannah was diagnosed. And so our first experience was Hannah was going, it was the summer of 2015, I believe, and she was 13 years old, and she was going to physical therapy at another um, place close to our home for her hips. She was having a lot of hip problems mm. while she was dancing. And so we were working through that and making some good progress with, you know, strengthening the muscles that support her hips and stuff like that. And then out of the blue in October of that year, she said that her back hurt. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's bring that up at physical therapy and see what they say. 
So we brought that up at our appointment and um, the physical therapist looked at her back. She was in a sports bra and he said, you know, she's got some interesting muscle patterns along her spine. I don't think it's anything to worry about just yet, but let's keep an eye on it. And the nurse in me said, okay, what does that mean? Check it every week, check it every month, check it in six months. What yeah, does you that wanna, mean? You want to know protocol. I want to know what to do. <laughs> and so like I said, this was early to mid-October of 2015. We go on and he tells me, you know, let's just, just let's look at it once a month and compare it. But of course, if she's having pain, you know, come back mm-hmm. and let us know. So we fast forward a little bit and it's early November so not just a couple weeks later and i'm sitting at the dance studio watching her dance one of my greatest passions just she's my youngest child you know i have a little bit more time where i can focus on her and i would just go and watch the rehearsals half an hour prior to them getting out and i was watching her and the straps on her leotard looked off they looked Hmm. weird and so she came out to get a drink of water and i walked over and smoothed the straps laid them back in their proper places And looked up a few minutes later after she started moving again, and they were all weird or wonky or something again. So I kind of said, hey, Hannah, where'd you get that leotard? You know, I'm thinking clothes. We bought a cheap one someplace. (laughs) This is not a good one. Something's weird. And kind of let it go. And um, then the next week, similar experience. I'm watching her dance, and the, the... the straps just won't lay flat on her back. And this time I know it's a good one. I know it's one she's worn for years. Um, And I'm like, that's really odd. So that night when we got home, we took her into the bathroom and had her take the straps down. And the thing that, that I noticed was that her right scapula protruded significantly behind the other and I don't know how to explain that except that it it was just closer to me if I put my hands out they weren't like flat where I would expect them to be on her back the the right scapula was closer which is probably the most common thing that we see initially with scoliosis so yeah that makes and I didn't know that you know my nursing background didn't prepare me for that Hannah's a tall thin girl so you know at first it's like well she's always kind of had very defined scapulas Um, so I called the doctor's office. It was the week before Thanksgiving and tried to make an appointment to see just our general practitioner. And the front office team said, there's no appointments till January. I said, something's changing with my child and (laughs) I'm really concerned. And I thought I was being a strong advocate. And I think this is the places where parents can really beat themselves up later. I knew how to advocate for patients. I knew what to do. And in this instance, this is where I first felt like I kind of dropped the ball. So I kept saying, no, this is quick. Something's changed significantly. And they said, sorry, January, first week of January. And I let it go. So we go into Christmas break and she's wearing regular clothes. She's not dancing. I'm not paying that much attention. I'm kind of putting it out of my mind to just not think about it. And I've scheduled an appointment. So I feel like I have things covered. And um, we get to that appointment and the doctor is sitting on one side of the room, I'm on the other side of the room, and she has Hannah bend forward towards me to do, and now I've lost the name of the test, the bend. Adam's test. Adam's test. And she asks me to come around from her perspective. And so Mm -hmm. I walk around the doctor and I look, and I'm so glad I was behind Hannah because I really had to do a check because I I was teary. And I said, Mm -hmm. I mouthed to her, that's not what I saw. 
six weeks ago. That's, that's, that's nothing like what I saw Mm. six weeks ago. So this was progressing very rapidly in my opinion, as a mom, as a nurse, you know, this sort of thing. So, and, and, and the doctor was appropriately concerned and we had x-rays that, that evening. Hmm. So, um, and these were some of the positives that happened. We were able to get an appointment with Dr. Machen in Uh two weeks, which was kind of out of the norm to be able to get an appointment in two weeks. And so by mid January, we were seeing him and we had our first set of x-rays and her curves were 18 and 23. Those numbers stick in my head. They get Mm -hmm. a little blurry as we go through the progress, but the 18 and 23 stick in my head. So we go to the appointment with him and he tells us the 18 and 23 and explains that um, the process is generally to not brace until they're 25 degrees and that he would like to see her back in six months. And this was the next point where I felt like I really had to advocate for my child. Um, There was no documentation to show that we had had a problem in October with with the physical therapist there was nothing to show that the spine appeared straight at that point or that the scapula didn't you know stick out we didn't have any kind of documentation like that it was simply my statement as a mom and i i asked the doctor you know i'm i'm not comfortable with waiting six months this has changed rapidly we didn't see anything in in october started seeing something in november and here we are in january and he held firm to the fact that they didn't want to brace until 25, but there's a measure of error in those Which measurements as well. <laughs> and I knew that because yeah. of my nursing background. So I'm like, if we're so close, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better to just right. do that? Um, and I'm okay with the fact that ultimately that he didn't brace her at that point, but I wasn't willing to walk out of his office and walk back in six months later. I wasn't Mm -hmm. willing to do that wait. So I did push it and I said, what else can we do? What are our other options? There has to be something. And that was when he referred us to Dave, to you. And um, we were here within the week. So we immediately (laughs) came up here (laughs) and we also negotiated him down to only a four month time span (laughs) to recheck x-rays. So I felt comfortable with that. And I I, I think that put us on firm (laughs) ground to begin this process. And I agree. I I think, you know, you talk about that you dropped the ball. I don't think you dropped the ball at all. (laughs) I think you are advocating for her very well. And, and to be honest, most patients and parents, it's, you know, we'll see in six months. Okay, we'll see, see in six months. But, I mean, you were pushing for, you know, that it, you knew something was going on and that it was progressive. And that's the, I think that's the key. Those progressive curves, we need to be on top of more. You know, if this was something that had been lingering over a year, just, you know, small increments, but this was not. This was something that was progressing rapidly. Yeah. So if we think about, at that time you were diagnosed, he, Dr. Matron referred you guys here to, to start working on scoliosis. And what, kind of describe the, the treatments that you received. Did you do any other treatments? Did you, it, kind of that process. That was a while ago, that was 2015. It was really 2016, no, 2016. at this point, yeah. So this is a while ago. Yeah. Um, just kind of describe what the treatment process was and and how that went. So um, we we got in here with Dave and started working with him and I was I was surprised. I had no idea that this kind of treatment 
existed. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things we need to get out to people is that there are things you can do besides just waiting until you get to a point where you need a brace or waiting until you get to the point where you right. need a surgery. I think that we really need to get this out to the public that, that there are, um, physical therapy techniques, things that the, mm-hmm. that the child can do and have control over. And I think that was the biggest thing at that point. Um, it was a big time commitment. We live in Provo, so it's a little bit of a drive for us. Um, right. And I work, and she's a very busy um, dancer. At that time, she was already dancing about 20 hours a week and trying to fit that in without missing school. She was in junior high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So school was becoming a little bit more difficult to miss and stuff like that. So um, we came up here, but Hannah was very motivated, and I think that was a key factor in um, her progression. She mm-hmm. really bought into, I have some control right. if I use this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think her dance experience really helped as well because she had a level of control of her body that, um, as a nurse, I think it would have taken other patient's time to develop. Um, I totally agree. She had, she had so much control just initially that, that I think that dance background was really helpful. Yeah. With that, so. And I think as a parent, it was interesting to watch these treatments, but because it, it looks like there's not much going on, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of hard work, you know, and I would try to gosh, I don't know if I can move that one spot you just pointed to <laughs> in, in her back without moving all of her back, you know, so it was really eye-opening to me Mm -hmm. that the types of things that were there. Um, So Shahana was coming then, I believe, like twice a week for a while, Mm -hmm. Um, and she was very successful that January through probably the end of the summer. She Mm -hmm. was very successful. She worked really hard. We're fortunate that we have a room we've converted to a dance studio. Mm -hmm. We installed stall bars. Um, my husband built them according to plans that Dave gave us, and um, they're just a permanent fixture in our dance yeah. room. And she had a place, and we had a um, we had it set up so that she got up early, and that was the first thing she did was that she went in there, you know. And she was a teenager; I'd have to go in and wake her up every once in a while because she'd you know fall asleep again. But um, I think getting this child, whatever uh-huh. age that is to buy into this is where you have control is key because that's not an easy age to say, get up early and do a half hour exercises before you go to school and go to dance for, you know, six hours that day and all of that. So I think it's key to get the the child to buy into. Right. How how do you feel like you did that? Like she was definitely bought in, but she's also kind of self-motivated. Why do you think she bought in and why do you think she was so motivated to do it? You know, that's, I've, I've often thought about that and that's mm-hmm. a really hard thing to pinpoint. Um, I think her dance training, um, mm-hmm. helped yeah. her to, to be very focused on something mm-hmm. and, um, it felt a little natural to her because mm-hmm. she had done, you know, dance training where it's hold this, do this, that kind of thing. Um, right. Hannah's just a very focused, driven child too, Mm -hmm. which I have to say, I was recently asked by her young women leaders what I've learned from being Hannah's mom. And what I learned (laughs) is every child's different. And no Mm -hmm. matter how many I've raised, they all require something different. And Hannah didn't require a lot. She was very self-motivated. I had to guide, but I didn't have to enforce very often. So I have to give her full credit. 
And I, I joke with Hannah occasionally that I wish I could clone her, her, her <laughs> attitude towards scoliosis treatment and transfer it to my other patients because I think, and I've seen this, I've been doing this now for six, almost seven years now, and some kids are just internally motivated and some kids take the reins and they go with it and some kids, some kids don't. And we see that in the results from doing their exercises. So I think one thing that you did very well as a parent, we already talked about advocating for your child, but I think you started it off well. You're like, we need equipment. Boom. We got equipment. Your husband built the bars. Yeah. He, you know, you installed them. You got everything good to go so that you showed Hannah that you guys were committed to it too. And I oh. think that's, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Well, to thank me. you. Because when parents aren't committed and they're leaving it to their child to do it, then, I mean, that that emphasis isn't there by the, the parents. So I think that's really good. Yeah. I, I actually remember doing a presentation on Hannah to my, my mm -hmm. course, my second Schroth course. We had to do a case study. So I remember that was like three years after I had started that to see her. Right. And I was looking through the progression of that and seeing the progression of her curve and the lack of progression at first. And then, so it, we kind of had a little progression there after a little while and I mean that's a long time she had a long time to grow and she had a a lot of a lot of work to do with that so describe to us about I mean she was braced kind of described to us about that and kind of the process with that yeah so I think before we quite get to bracing I think it's important to point out that Hannah, so the, that four-month follow-up x-ray, so mm -hmm. she'd been coming here for approximately four months, and she held steady. Mm -hmm. That four months, she right. did not make a change. There was nothing noticeable. Of course, you know, there's the error measurement, and right. we have to figure that in, but there wasn't any change. And we really, really built her up on that. This is all you. There is nothing I did right. to fix this. There is nothing that anybody else did this is all you and she kind of reveled in that uh -huh. um and worked that much harder um when school started for eighth grade though that fall she kind of lost control uh -huh. um dance was busier we may have changed studios at that time somewhere around there we changed right. studios and um she just kind of lost control of it and maybe motivation i'm not i'm not sure why and that's that's when we started seeing the curves right. increase again and it had a direct correlation to um i don't want to say she stopped doing her exercises because she's a really great kid and very focused mm -hmm. but i think she stopped working quite as hard i think she thought i did it and quit working right a little and that's when we started to see those changes again and so yeah. that fall we passed the 25 degrees mm -hmm. Um, and it was determined that she needed to go into a brace. And that was, that was challenging. I think that's challenging with anybody to have to go into something restrictive and um, stuff like that. Even just our kids that wear braces on their teeth have the same kind of issues when, mm -hmm. they, when they have to make that adjustment. Um, you know, a 13-year-old girl, um, it's going to show on my clothes. I can't wear what everyone else wears. There was a lot of that that mm -hmm. she worried about. Um, I underestimated how uncomfortable it would really be. You mm. know, I was told it'll be hot. You know, it's going to put some pressure in places. And I, I 
absolutely underestimated what that was going to mean. So there was some breakdowns mentally for her and for me um, the day we went for casting to make the brace. Yeah. She kind of lost it, which is fair. It's absolutely fair at 13 oh, totally to lose fair. it. Um, and, you know, the the technician was really good with her with explaining, mm. you know, what was going on and stuff. And we left that a little more positive again. Mm-hmm. And then the day they delivered the brace was traumatic. I, I think mm. it was. I still think even after casting and all the explanations and all the, the stuff we had had her watch and read and do, mm. she still did, wasn't quite prepared for when they walked in with her brace. Um, and she she needed a few minutes to compose herself before she could actually try that brace on. Um, and then they, they tell you to put it gradually, you know, you wear mm-hmm. it a couple hours at a time and stuff. Right. But I was, I completely underestimated how difficult that process would be mm-hmm. and, and was having some trouble. We were approaching fall break at this point. By the time the um, mm-hmm. brace was delivered, we were going on a trip in October. We wanted her in the brace. And, and then we we're dealing with how do you fly? How do you, you know, all of these implications aside from just how do you dress right. and what do you wear and you know, things like that. I think they need rewards to get into mm. that brace. I think you have to structure yeah. some kind of rewards, just like when you're trying to get your kids to learn anything new or deal with anything hard. Um, we had said, you know, when you can wear it for four hours and and not be in excruciating pain, mm. then you can have this or that. And we, we just weren't getting there as fast as I wanted her mm. to. Even though they told me it would take some time, I'm like, no, I, I want you in this brace <laughs> right. because this brace is it's gonna, it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna help us. Um, we finally ended up offering her she was she wanted this hair straightener that was like a hundred dollars so that's something i wouldn't normally buy Mm -hmm. for a 13 year old and i finally said ordered it it's coming tomorrow it's on my dresser the first time you've worn it for a 24-hour period all the time you're supposed to you can have it Mm -hmm. and within about four days we reach that goal so i I there has to be some kind of a motivator because there's nothing fun about it there has to be some other motivator to get them all the way into that brace. Definitely. I think that's one of the biggest struggles with bracing is because there's no, they don't see the motivation of, I want my curve to get to stay where it is and not progress. That's not something that teenagers really understand. No. It's not something that is on their radar. Sure, they, they can conceptualize it, but I don't think, I don't think that motivates them. So finding a motivation like that, I, I think that's great. Yeah. When the reward is something that they want more than getting the brace off. I think another important thing um, that's that's hard for people to accept with the brace is just what other people will think of it. And I remember Mm -hmm. the first Saturday she had to go to dance and she was wearing it. And it was like, okay, now when you're at dance, where are you going to put it? I don't drop you off every day. You can't leave it in my car. Um, Her sister wasn't Mm -hmm. driving at that point. You know, they were getting dropped off by a... A, mm-hmm. a caretaker and it's like what are we going to do with this how are we going to do it so I try to I try to get my kids to do I, I coach them and have them do things so I had her ask her coach where can I keep it and they said well you can put it in the office or you can put it here on the shelf and she's like right here and it's like right there in front of everybody okay let's do that so then mm-hmm. she came out of the first class 
and or the last class of that day and I stood up to go help her put her brace on and I said do you want to go to the bathroom to do this or something she goes no I can do it right here <laughs> and right there in the middle of the lobby at the dance studio we put the brace on over her leotard and a young girl that I wasn't very familiar with, she was just a little bit older than mm. Hannah, came over and said, oh, Hannah, I wore a brace for a long time. And I feel like the fact that she just owned it and did it right oh, yeah. there in the middle of the room and then had a positive mm-hmm. role from another peer mm-hmm. was critical in defining mm-hmm. how she would wear that brace. That's awesome because it's... A lot of times they don't want other people to know that they have the brace. Mm-hmm. And that's totally Hannah. She's like, I'll just do this. You know, yeah. this this is just what I'm going to do. That's that's awesome. I wish more more kids with scoliosis that are braced knew other kids who were also braced. Because that definitely helps. Definitely. I agree. I wish I wish we had had more exposure to someone. Uh, except Hannah did well. Mm-hmm. But it... and 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 I wish Hannah had... She was a busy young girl, but mm-hmm. I wish she had found a way to be a role model to right. others as well. And we have options now with yes. that. There's uh, some some things around the country that allow that to happen. So I think because we don't understand what it's like as parents or providers or anybody mm-hmm. other than someone who's been braced, we don't understand how that goes. And having someone else to talk to or even just see that you're not the only one, I think that's huge. I think so too. Yeah. So, okay, we we progressed to the point of needing a brace. She was very consistent with that. She wore it to school. Mm-hmm. She wore it up until dance. Uh, had some out of brace time, I assume, kind of at night and, and things like that. Um, but, yeah, she was very consistent with that. So take us through the rest of the journey that uh, that she went on from there. Okay, so at this point, Hannah has done really well with... Um physical therapy with the Schroth method. Mm-hmm. She's still coming to you for Schroth training. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I'd send her back for kind of a refresher right. because they tend to slack off. And, right. and I noticed that. So it's like, hey, let's let's catch up a little. Let's right. let, watch what she's doing. Um, and she'd been in the brace and she was doing really well. I'm not going to ever say she's perfect. I'm certain there was times she right. took it off and didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. There was two nights that I got left at the dance studio and we <laughs> frantically figured out, you know, how we could get back right. and get it. Um, so it, it, it wasn't perfect. Yeah. I, no teenager is going to be. But I feel like she did remarkably well oh, for yeah. her age. So Hannah is, um, she's very tall and thin. She's currently about five. Eight, I believe. Um, so she's also mm-hmm. a late bloomer. That's where mm-hmm. I was going with this. She grows so late. <laughs> she grows late. So she had been, you know, kind of the tiniest all the time in the class. And then she was getting taller and taller. And you could tell mm-hmm. that she was going to be tall. Right. Um, I have children that run the gamut. You know, mm-hmm. I've got daughters that are 5'3". I've got daughters that are Hannah. I've got sons right. that are, you know, 5'7". And sons that are 6'2". You know, so mm-hmm. we run the gamut. So there, we had no preconceived idea. But you could tell that she was just going to be kind mm-hmm. of long and lengthy. Yeah. And then... Um, as a dancer, I think that sometimes delays their start of their menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Hannah didn't start her period until her 15th birthday. So mm-hmm. she's already been in a brace for a while. She knows mm-hmm. that, she, or she's been told, mm-hmm. that growth occurs for two years after your period. So while she was happy to not have that begin, right. on the other hand, it's like, I'm going to be stuck in this brace forever. you right. know. So it was, it was a, a long haul in mm-hmm. that brace. 
And she um, finally started her period in right after her 15th birthday. Mm-hmm. And when we went that summer, so now she's six months past, mm-hmm. um, and at this point we had been referred, her curves had progressed, and we'd been referred to Dr. Smith um, for a surgical consult, but we hadn't reached that point yet. Um, and we went there and he did an x-ray and determined that she had reached growth from that x-ray and announced that she could stop wearing her brace during the day. And I was very uncomfortable with that. I, twice during that visit, I said, we're all on the same page here, right? We all understand that she only started her period six months ago. Um, and he, he felt very convinced hmm. in the other science that supported right. taking her out of her brace. And she's 15 and a half and she's been in this brace forever. So as the mom, it's not like I could make her stay in the well, brace. Yeah, it's when hard she when she's that. getting this other... <laughs> information so that's another point where i advocated for her but i still kind of look back i try not to look back because we are where we are and that's fine but that's another place where it's like could i have spoken up more could i have said more should i have said more so she's out of the brace during the day she's thrilled to death you know Mm -hmm. i think it was right as school was starting so now i don't have to carry it to dance i don't have to leave it as a trophy on the table you know i don't Mm -hmm. have to do any of that um, we get to our next appointment in January. So she's just turned 16. And again, the x-rays look convincing that she's done growing. And they say, you can stop wearing it all together. And I'm like, hey, time out. I remember and that. And again, during this visit, on at least two different times, I said, are we all clear here that she's only had her period for one year? You know, growth that usually occurs for two years for girls Mm -hmm. beyond that point. And it was determined that she was done. No more brace at night. No more bracing. And and I did have long conversations with you about that one. That Mm -hmm. one kind of panicked me. Um, And you have to trust your doctors. And I do wholeheartedly trust them. But sometimes I think that as healthcare providers, myself included, we disregard the parents' intuition and what they know. And right. this is another one of those times, like when I said everything's changing and mm-hmm. no one gets how fast this is changing except me. I might have needed to advocate a little stronger, yeah. but I did my best and, and we go from there. So <clears throat> she's out of her brace. She's just turned 16. She's thrilled. Um, and he tells her that because her curves were under 40 degrees, she, she's not going to need surgery. She's done growing, mm-hmm. and surgery is not going to be in the cards for you. Um, I did have a moment of what I feel now is wisdom on the car ride home that day where I said, you know, Hannah, the doctor says you don't have to have surgery. But mm-hmm. I said, there may be a point where you want to choose to have this surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, your back does look different than other people. You might have discomfort carrying babies in your future because of the, the differences in your spine. Um, let's just kind of keep that on our radar. And anything like that would be better sooner than later. So if we right. reach a point where your life doesn't solely revolve around dance, then I think we should have this discussion again and have another evaluation. So right. I'm really glad that I put that out there, given what happens in the next year with Hannah. So, and I really remember that that time where he took her out of the brace because I, I didn't totally agree with that. Yeah. I was kind of... <laughs> 
Same, yeah. same with you. I'm like, that makes me nervous. I mean, especially not weaning out of the brace, just yeah. saying, you know, go out of the brace. It, I was like, wait, 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 let's, let's yeah. back this up a little bit. She's growing. She, I mean, you have a scoliosis surgeon who he looks at, he looks at the research right. that that's what he does and, and averages and trying, trying to figure out how to, to make those decisions. But, but yeah, I remember that time was challenging and it was and as a health practitioner i was trying to trust the science right but as her mom i wasn't wasn't very comfortable trusting the science yeah and i think you know hindsight's always different than than foresight but yeah it's it's hard because once that teenager hears you can be out of the brace absolutely that that mindset shifts she was very committed she was doing very well with it before but once that green light's there It, it's really hard to reverse that. And I remember having that conversation with yeah. you. It was, that was very difficult. Um, through the course of the next year, so her follow-up was one year after that. Mm-hmm. Through the course of the next year, I think she was interning with you. Yeah, so she, she was here, she did a little internship, here yeah. um, a couple days a week. And I remember at one point thinking I was watching her dance. And it's like, mm, something's changing. Yeah. I I see something different. I couldn't quantify it. I couldn't have told you what was changing, but something is changing again. So when we went to the doctor that January for annual x-rays mm-hmm. that were supposed to be just status checks because she was done growing was and it wasn't to going to change, yeah. um, both of her curves had progressed nearly 10 degrees. And that was yeah. just, um, it was devastating to all of us. Yeah. Um, to find out that after she did so many things right, I don't want to think, say she did everything right because right. she's a teenager and, 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 and I, I didn't do everything right either. But after doing so many things right mm-hmm. and then thinking you're out of the woods and then being told that you need to have surgery, um, that was another very difficult day. So that was oh, January definitely. of 2020 um, that we had that conversation. And um, I remember when I walked into that appointment, the nurse asked her when did you start your period and she said two years ago she said oh good we like them to be two years past (laughs) and it was like wait rewind we took the brace off a year ago you know so I remember you know having that little niggling darn it in my in my head I really should have pushed harder but we get to this point and he tells her that she she will need to have surgery um that the statistics show that if you were over 40 degrees at the end of growth, which now mm-hmm. she really is at the end of growth, right. um, that the the average curves progress one degree a year for life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're even if your chest above forty, if you've got that that they're and, and hers have just gone close to ten degrees in a year. So so we know that mm-hmm. she's she's making, you know, rapid changes again. So he tells her that um, she needs to have surgery, but she has some time to consider this, Mm -hmm. that time is on her side. Doing it younger is better. She would recover better at 18 or 19 than she would at 25 or 30, um, which I think was really great advice. And so he kind of sent us home saying, think about when you want to do this. And so um, over the course of 
the next two months, we had some really long discussions and, and tried to propose things that would fit into her lifestyle and my lifestyle and, you know, what, what, what we could do. And so we narrowed it down to three different time periods that she could have surgery. One would be the summer of 2020, which would take her out of high school dance for her senior year. Um, and would take her out of competition teams for the last year she could compete in that kind of a format. Um, we proposed December of 2020, and she had planned to graduate early before COVID hit. She thought she wanted mm-hmm. to graduate early um, and do that and then go to college, you know. Um, and then the other one was to do it at the end of her freshman year in college, you know, the summer of 2021. So we really let her have a lot of control over that since she's older, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we, we wanted her to choose that and we gave guidance. Um, I kind of nixed the Christmas idea because her plan was to graduate early and then she would delay college to the normal starting time so she could recuperate. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hannah, it's not in your best interest to go from dancing 20 mm-hmm. hours a week, school and everything, to recovering with nothing to get you out of bed and nothing to look forward to. Right. And I just, as a parent, I just had to say, sorry, mm-hmm. we can't do that one. A surprise to me was that she chose to do it in summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so it was yeah. early March and she came to us and said, you know, I just want to do it now. And I said, well, then you're not dancing. You know, are, are you comfortable with giving all this mm-hmm. up? And and she said, well, I think this is better because then I, I can be ready to dance in college. And I have to appreciate all of her thought patterns and the things that she put into making mm-hmm. these decisions. So um, I believe it was March 10th. It's kind of stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. I called Dr. Smith's office and scheduled surgery for July of 2020. And by the end of the week, the world stopped. No elective surgeries were happening. We had no idea if they would be doing surgeries in July, if they Mm -hmm. would be caught up enough to do surgeries in July because of the ones they had postponed, which was kind of hard because she'd worked so hard to make this decision. And then what do you do with it? So then we had to stop and say, okay, audition for your teams, Mm -hmm. plan to be on high school. You know, if surgery happens, then we'll deal. But, and, and my in my head, I said, if she can't have surgery in July, we are waiting that year because yeah. I'm not going to push it to August or September right. and greatly impact, you know, the start of a senior year in the middle of COVID and all of the craziness right. that's gone on with that. It's a lot of factors to consider. It was. I mean, it, the, let alone COVID starting, but other mm-hmm. factors to consider on top of that. That's tough. Yeah. So tell us uh, how, how that went. That surgery. Um, surgery went well. So that was done in July. July of okay. 2020. They told us to plan on five to six days at Primary Children's. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a great job of preparing us. They usually mm-hmm. have in-person classes for the a parent and the child. That wasn't happening, so they gave us a Facebook mm-hmm. link so that we could view one. <laughs> answered all of our questions. You know, made, we felt very prepared for that. Mm-hmm. We did have a little surprise when... Um, the Friday before surgery, we thought we had 10 days to surgery and there had been a miscommunication and we oh. were only Friday to Tuesday 
from surgery. That's a little different. It was, especially, like I said, in the era of COVID, we were on vacation, luckily still in the state because mm-hmm. we were trying to be careful and didn't want anything to take her out of the possibilities mm-hmm. of having surgery. And so we had to rush home from St. George and mm-hmm. get a COVID test on Saturday morning, you know, so that she could have surgery on right. Tuesday. In hindsight, that wasn't a bad thing, though, because <laughs> the waiting was getting really hard. Oh, yeah. Those so, 10, and then, 10 days would have been yeah, a long it, 10 it was kind of nice that that mm-hmm. happened. So they told us to prepare to be in the hospital five to six days. So she had surgery on a Tuesday. We thought if she comes home on Sunday, that's what's expected. And they said maybe Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, she had some issues with pain control at first. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to have the pain team involved to help manage that. But that was quickly rectified and mm-hmm. she was doing great. And I actually, having surgery with a child during COVID at primaries was an interesting thing. They would only let one parent at a time. We could only oh, yeah. change at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Um, my husband wanted to be involved, but understood that a teenage girl is going to want her mom to help her in the bathroom. Um, I think one thing people don't know is that young women often start their period the week of surgery, even if they've just had one. Oh, really? Interesting. And she did, Hmm. you know, so she had had one like a week before. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, she's not going to want you to help her change her pads in the bathroom. And so by Friday morning, I was feeling confident enough that um, my husband came in at seven and I was going to come back at seven that night and Mm -hmm. take over again. Mm -hmm. And I headed back to Provo. I went for a run and he called and said they're discharging her. And it's like, what? (laughs) But that was amazing. I mean, it just felt like she had done so well and she was Mm -hmm. so ready and motivated um, to get home and get on with her um, recovery. I remember hearing that she had had surgery and that she was doing so well. And I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, such a, such a huge step with having surgery and she continues to do well. So what happened after that? So after that, she was doing, I I guess I should preface a lot of this. uh, She was doing so well Mm -hmm. that one week after she got home, we took a zero gravity chair and let her sit at her dance camp Mm -hmm. so she could be a part of her team. Um, Her older sister was there with a choreographer, so I felt pretty confident that there was someone to keep her in her place and make sure she wasn't doing too much. So she didn't just Um, go out and start dancing. (laughs) Yeah, but she was doing remarkably well, remarkably well. When we hit the two-week mark, um, you know, we were inspecting her incision every day. We were, you know, still doing a lot Mm -hmm. of her care. And I noticed just a little odd indentation at the top of her Mm -hmm. um, incision where the knot set, there's one knot outside the skin. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that and, and it was enough that I took a picture of it. And mm. I was like, it's not weird yet, but it just looks different. Um, and we watched that for a couple of days and that was getting bigger and bigger. Mm. And then she woke up sick mm-hmm. and it was like, does she have the flu, does she have COVID? What, what's going on? Right. And she was really feeling pretty crummy, Would, wouldn't get out of bed much. and. She had developed pain that she had never had before. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, she's having um, incredible pain in her lower back. And this is another point where I question my own, even though I have nursing background. I thought, well, those vertebrae below your fusion are taking a different load. So this might be normal. And my husband and I worried at night, oh my gosh, is she going to have pain like this? Right. You know, for mm-hmm. life, we actually went out that weekend and bought her a very expensive adjustable bed because we determined that was what she needed. It was just right. laying in her bed that was so bad. And she just was feeling really, really bad. So my husband took her in to see Dr. Smith. They wanted us an x-ray and she passed out. 
while they were doing the x-ray, um, which gave everybody a scare in the office. Um, and they determined at that point, they thought it was a stitch reaction. So like an allergic mm -hmm. reaction to the stitches that was becoming infected, mm -hmm. but that it was localized there at the top of her incision. And didn't we didn't have a good explanation for the lower back pain. So I was still holding with the whole, mm -hmm. sorry, this just might be it for a while, you know, while your body adjusts to taking that load in right. a different way. Um, so they put her on antibiotics and she quickly improved. And she did her 10 day course of antibiotics. And one week to the day after she finished that, she came to me and said, my back's all wet. She had just woken up from the night and the back of her t-shirt was completely soaked. And when I lifted it up, her incision was dehissing, um, separating. Right. And there was probably a half inch where it just looked like it had been stretched out, half inch wide. And at this point now we're probably three inches long and the incision is pretty long. So right. we're at the top of the incision. I'm still not linking any of this to the pain in her lower back, but this right. is, is not, not looking really good. So we called Dr. Smith's office, took her up there and he, he looked at it and kind of prodded, poked around a little and thought that another course of antibiotics was going to, to hmm. handle that. So he sent us home that after it was a Thursday right before Labor Day weekend. It was Thursday afternoon. Um, we got the prescription, went home, and the next day, they had been really good in that two-week period. They were calling me every day for updates. Yeah. I mean, they were worried about our Dr. Smith says he has a patch of um, gray hair that's Hannah Whipple. Um, <laughs> And like I said, they, they were amazing in the way that they were handling her care. And so his assistant called the next morning and, and I was at work and I had a, a coworker in the office who's also a medical professional. And um, I took the call and they said, how's she doing? And I said, you know what? I, I think she's doing worse today. And they said, well, it takes at least 25, 24 hours for antibiotics to get started. So let's see how she's doing. And I said, actually, can I send you a picture? Because I am really not comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. Now we're at like six inches of the wound that mm -hmm. is opening up and purulent drainage yeah. and all of that. I sent the picture and seriously didn't feel like it even hit send before the phone was ringing. Mm. Please bring her to primary children's. Mm. And so my coworker, you know, I, I grabbed my computer, ran. I'm telling my husband, don't feed her because I anticipated what was coming. Mm. They didn't, you know, and, and we're kind of laid back. She and Rich, well, she was feeling pretty crummy in all defense. And my husband was a little relaxed, you know, glad mm -hmm. to see that we were doing something and getting right. her to the doctor. But I think he was just a little relaxed about that whole process. That night, they, when we got there, um, the fellow was pacing the halls waiting for us at the emergency room. Um, and within, within an hour, they determined she had to go back to surgery for mm -hmm. a washout that we had they suspected some kind of infection. He was still hoping it was just localized to that top portion mm -hmm. of her back. That was his hope. We'll go clean that up, mm -hmm. close her up, you know, we'll, we'll be good. They had to wait because she had eaten something right before. So right. surgery was delayed a couple hours that night waiting for her to get um, to a safer point to undergo anesthesia. I'll never forget the minute sitting in the waiting room. It's after hours anyway. It's COVID. They're not allowing a lot of parents in. Now, luckily, things had changed to where they would allow two parents hmm. with That's her good. by that point. So Rich and I are together, mm -hmm. and we're both you know, there to support her. Um, and he came out, and 
I just knew we 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 were in a worse spot we thought um, they found infection all the way into her low back the entire length of the incision mm. rods everything was infected um, it was a huge pus pocket that was putting the pressure on her low back that was That's causing her pain, pain. Yeah. which you know then you're like gosh I kind of blew off your pain right. you know I, I I didn't I didn't take this seriously <laughs> enough um, so you know lots of second guessing through all of that um, she ended up being in primary children's hospital for a week with that stay they did a washout that Friday night and what that entails is opening from top to bottom and then they they use yeah. cleaning antibiotic fluid and suction to just try to clean out as much of the infection um, the real risk with a rod is with with rod and hardware in place is that there's no blood supply to that rod so it's hard to get antibiotics for any um, and she had staff it leaves you know it, it leaves a biofilm so mm -hmm. there, there's just a lot involved in trying to treat a rod infection the surgeon hadn't had an infection in I think it was eight years and maybe yeah, his ten. Yeah, record's it, pretty good. The record was really good, so this was never anything that yeah. any of us were concerned about. And it just happens. We were a part of a trial where we were using chlorhexidine wipes three nights mm. before surgery. So, you know, we did it. And mm -hmm. um, I, I'm sure all parents are diligent when they're trying to follow those instructions. But as a nurse, I understood all the mm -hmm. principles. And so a different wipe for an arm, a different wipe for the other arm, one for the back, one for each right. leg. So we had done all of that. All of the things that we, that that they could have done, mm -hmm. were put in place, and it, it still sometimes just, just happened. So they did the first washout on Friday night. They scheduled another washout for Sunday, and in between these washouts, they leave the incision open, not completely open, but they pack it with um, it's a it's a foam. And mm -hmm. she was attached to a wound vac. So it's constantly trying to suck out all of that fluid that's in there. And so um, when she first sat up, it, it looks like you've got a gaping wound. It's actually the dark foam. It definitely I, doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it doesn't look good. And you have to carry this yeah. pump with you. And she was she was a sick, a sick young lady. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were all concerned. They had her on high antibiotics. They were mm -hmm. identifying the organism at that point, you know, trying to figure out what, mm -hmm. what are we dealing with. Um, when she sat up the first day and I saw her back and I kind of knew what to expect, I was surprised. And I remember saying, Hannah, I need to take a picture of this. You don't want to see it now, <laughs> but someday you're going to ask me about this. Yeah. And so I did snap a picture of it then. And so that was all attached like that. She passed out the first day when we got her up to the bathroom. I mean, yeah. It was just really kind of a challenging time. She goes back to surgery Sunday morning, and they do the same process all over again, bring her back to us with um, a wound back in place. And they were going to have plastic surgery closed because mm. the the dehiscence that was occurring, had you know, they had to take out a lot of tissue in mm. order to make it match again. So we knew that um, plastics would close. And we expected that that would be, I think, Tuesday mm -hmm. and maybe go home on Thursday. It didn't mm -hmm. end up happening quite that way. It took a right. little bit longer. But she was good then. Um, after that second washout, she felt fantastic. The pain was gone. Um, and, and she's a trooper. I want to say probably by Tuesday. They delayed her surgery from Tuesday to, I think, Wednesday to close. 
that was a tough day because she wants mm. to get back to life. She wants to move right. on. She wants to just put this all behind her. It's yeah, no longer fun to be here. Yeah. yeah. So she was, we had, we had some rough emotional days about then. Um, but she's tough. We've had a lot of joking in our she family about how she's the only one of our five kids that could have handled this, you know, and we, <laughs> and, and, and I think she takes pride right. in that. I have other kids who, who totally yeah. wouldn't have handled it as well as she did. And I, and she deserves a lot of props for, for getting through things the way right. she did. They initially told us, so now we've got plastics involved. We have the surgeon involved again, and we're working with infectious disease because mm -hmm. of the rods. We're going to have this long-term risk right. of this re infection reoccurring for Hannah. And so initially they identified it as staph aureus and it mm -hmm. was, um, non-resistant. Mm -hmm. It was what we wanted, non-resistant. Right. And they told her, that was probably Tuesday of that week, they told her she'd go home on high doses of oral antibiotics. So she was in heaven. Life was going to be good. And they also told her that this didn't delay any of the healing. Of the fusion. Of the fusion. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, it gave them a unique window into the fusion, though. He was surprised that her fusion oh, was really? taking as quickly as it was. So <laughs> they don't usually get see to that. see that. So, yeah. um, so that was all good news, mm -hmm. you know. And she was worried about the delay, you know, because yeah. in her head by January, she's dancing full mm -hmm. on, you know. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, are we delayed eight weeks? What's going on? So that was yeah. good news to find out that none of that was going to be delayed. She was going to go home on oral antibiotics. This mm -hmm. sounded really good. Um, then when plastics closed, they asked them to do one more um, swab to see. And unfortunately, that swab grew again. So that changed our course of plan. Now it's Thursday, I believe, and she's wanting to go home that mm -hmm. day. And they're saying, no, I think we need to keep you a little longer. Um, we need, we may be considering a pick line placement to send you home and things like that. We had an amazing mm. nurse that day who said, if you're considering a pick line, I want the x-rays today. I want, I want everything in the works. You can always cancel it, right. which was key to getting us home by Saturday. If she had delayed that and not intervened mm -hmm. on our behalf, we would have been there through wow. the weekend just because things changed on the weekend mm -hmm. in the hospital and, oh, yeah. and the resources are different and stuff. Um, so that was another meltdown day where she realizes mm -hmm. that, you know, not only does she have rods in her back and she can't bend, twist or lift, but now she's going to have a pick line attached right. to a pump. And, um, it was kind of like being told she had to go in the brace all over again. It was another thing that changed appearance to others <laughs> at a time when appearance is oh, everything. Yeah. Anyway. Long story short, she came home that Saturday on a pick line. Mm -hmm. um, they left that, I believe, two weeks with home health, mm -hmm. giving her high doses of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And then she did three more months on high doses of oral antibiotics right. after that. And thankfully, now we're 10 months past, almost 10 months past the original surgery, mm -hmm. eight months past I think we're five off of antibiotics mm -hmm. with no recurrence, oh, which awesome. is good news. Um, unfortunately, it's not something that means you're out of the woods. That hardware just yeah. complicates things. Yeah. That the woods aren't as thick as they were. Right. And we're grateful for every day that she makes it beyond that. Because mm -hmm. if it were to recur significantly, it would, it would mean rod removal. And so the closer we can get to really good fusion, Definitely. the better um, for her long term back strength and stuff. So how is she doing now? 
she's doing really well mm-hmm. now. She had high school um, dance concert last night and tonight where she is dancing beautifully. I can see some changes in the way mm-hmm. she dances, but if someone didn't know her experience, mm-hmm. I don't think they'd ever know. She's proud of her scar which I think is an amazing thing for a teenager. Oh, Prom yeah. was this weekend and she wore a completely backless dress. She's 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 proud of it. She yeah. feels like she earned it. In some ways, she's regretful that Plastics closed it because it was looking pretty gnarly oh. and she had a good story to tell. <laughs> she wanted a gnarly scar. <laughs> oh, right. Well, she had a good story <laughs> to go with it. So now people, yeah. I don't even know if they would see it if you if you don't right. look closely. She's, she's doing phenomenal. Um, as a parent, there was some really um, crazy emotions that went along with the mm. recovery. You worry about your kids so much. All of us do, even even our healthy kids. We worry right. about our healthy kids. One of my biggest fears when when she went back in with this um, infection and stuff was that she was going to be treated like a sick kid, that mm-hmm. we were going to be always watching. And we've had to right. watch that a little. It's like, we only need to take your temperature mm-hmm. once in a while. No, Dad, <laughs> you don't have to take it five times a day. We've, we have had to watch that. But she's done a really good job of just being being pretty right. normal with it. She was released from her restrictions of lifting, twisting, and bending at mm-hmm. six months after surgery. Mm-hmm. And one week later, danced in her first concert. That's awesome. Which made me a little nervous. But I was surprised by the emotions I felt when I watched her dance for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was excited. I couldn't wait to see her dance. I've always loved watching mm-hmm. her and her sister dance. I was excited to be where we were, and when the lights went down and she came on stage, I burst into tears and cried through the whole show and was just overwhelmed by all Mm. of the, oh my gosh, look what we've come through, what she's come through. We almost lost her. You know, Mm -hmm. the the infections like that can can go septic. There can be so many complications. And it was just surprising to me, though, because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pretty in tune with things. I feel like I pay pretty close attention and yeah. I process yeah. things. So I was um, completely overwhelmed by right. the emotions. Um, I'm happy to say the next night I watched it and enjoyed the concert. <laughs> and last night I watched and enjoyed only a Perfect. little bit of tears. But that's she's a right. senior, too, and it's her yeah. last. So there are other emotions. There's different emotions last night. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's interesting through the this story that you've been telling us you know a couple of times you said to make a long story short this is definitely a long story it is a long story <laughs> and, and there's a lot that has gone on during the past six years and and looking back i mean that's that it's pretty amazing where she is today having gone through all that yeah it really so, is you know i cool. and i don't think anybody wants to think when they have that first diagnosis of scoliosis mm-hmm that we're gonna end up with surgery or that we're gonna have these complications or we're gonna right. have these things go wrong. But medicine is amazing. We mm-hmm. can still do great things. It may not be the course that we pick or what we, how we want things right. to progress, but there's, um, we're so fortunate to live now mm-hmm. where there is all of these things, you know, and, and that, that those options were proposed. You know, mm-hmm. I had no idea there was a 
a treatment plan other mm-hmm. than bracing. And so finding yeah. out that there was a Schroth method and that there was someone in our state who really wasn't that far away, even though it right. felt like it, you know, when we were trying mm-hmm. to get up here twice a week, um, th- those were all very fortunate things which played yeah. into it. And uh, you have to be grateful for those. Yeah. And I think the, the hindsight, you know, you think back, you're like, well, how effective were, was the brace? How effective was doing Schroth? How effective were those things? we delayed surgery until she right. was 18. Right. And so, gave her that many more years of yeah. dancing and that many more years Which of building great. strength to, to, yeah. to withstand the surgery and, right. and recover from the surgery. And definitely learn some things along the way. Definitely. So any other advice you have specifically for parents of kids with scoliosis, anything else you want to leave with us? So I think my biggest piece of advice is to trust yourself. And, and, and I made mention to that several times, that there were several times that I wasn't comfortable with the treatment plan. And you need to advocate for your child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you still need to trust the medicine, too. You still need to trust yeah. the science. So you have to find that happy medium. Mm-hmm. And, and then you just really can't look back. Um, yeah. You know, as much as I'd like to second guess all of those times when I felt mm-hmm. like I didn't advocate strongly enough, there's nothing I can change. So right. it's, it's not... It's not going to change anything. If your child doesn't choose to wear the brace every day, that's okay. Get them mm-hmm. in it as much as they can. If mm-hmm. you know, if if you can't get them to their Schroth method training, get them as soon as soon as you can, right. or get them as often as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing COVID's taught us, which I think would expand practice, is that you don't necessarily have to be in the same place as someone anymore either. Um, Where I was so grateful to find out that there was someone in our area that did this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of areas that don't have someone who Mm -hmm. do that. So I I think find those resources, you Mm -hmm. know, find those things. Do some research on your own so you know what's going on, Mm -hmm. but don't take too deep of a dive Um, because you can really sidetrack yourself Mm -hmm. with, oh, well, there's this other bracing method and this different thing and you can really sidetrack yourself with some of those things that Mm -hmm. sound really good but don't have the science behind them so you have to trust your practitioners have to trust your intuition and act on it you know advocate for your child you know advocate for your child and and get others involved who will advocate for their child um i think that's um important it was very nice Mm -hmm. to be able to reach out to you when i was questioning the choices that were made and Mm -hmm. have you talk to the doctors and and and, mm-hmm. and figure out what was going on. So get an army, gather an army that can help support your child and um, make the best of it. It's made Hannah who she is, so I, I can't change any of it. Would I like to take away some of the pain and suffering? Absolutely. But she's going to be a different human being mm-hmm. because gonna, of this. She's pretty tough already. And this just solidifies that yeah. toughness. I think that the big thing that I hear you say is parents speak up. Yes. You know, if you're feeling something and you have questions, ask. Yes. Don't don't let those things just just go. Because in in the medical field, as a patient, a lot of times those things are you're kind of pushed through things very quickly. And I mean, you're a nurse, and you still felt still, yeah. still felt like that. So yeah, speak up and be an advocate for your child. I yeah. think that's perfect and build that multidisciplinary approach to other people involved. Absolutely. So, awesome. Well, it was great running through that whole story. I've been a part of that story, but it's interesting <laughs> to see it from start to finish. Yeah. I think that's really thank cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for for being on the podcast. Yeah.